You are listening to the Central Sanford Podcast. To learn more about Central Sanford, including our gathering times, visit us online at centralsanford.net. Today's talk comes from Pastor Alan Brumbach. Matthew chapter 6, verse 16. If you would stand as we read God's Word, if you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in front of you that's our gift to you today, page 811, or you can follow along on the screen. Hear the words of Jesus in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now chapter 9, verses 14 and 15. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. You may be seated. I'm doing something new this morning, and that is I'm preaching a sermon I've never preached on a Sunday morning before, and that's on the topic of fasting. Probably many of you have not heard very many sermons on the topic of fasting. After engaging the first sermon, the first service, I understand that there's a spiritual warfare, warfare dynamic to this. And so I want to encourage you as you hear this message to hear what God wants to say to you this morning. Now, maybe some of you have fasted. Maybe some of you say, you know what, Pastor, I had somebody after the first service says, I fast every night. While I sleep, I'm really spiritual. Some hours are eight or nine, ten hours. I fast every night. And then I break fast with a breakfast, <laughs> with a Pop-Tart probably. Fasting has kind of become in vogue, uh, and, and it's been very fashionable lately, especially in the area of weight loss. There's a, a new technique called intermittent fasting, intermittent fasting. I can't pronounce that for some reason. But basically the gist is this, is you just don't eat for at least 12, 13, 14 hours. Some people go almost 18 hours. They only eat in about a six-hour window. The, the irony of all of this is this. A few years ago, 20 years ago, dietitians said fasting is bad for your health. Just, just in 2020, uh, there was a, a scientific study that was done. The dietitian said, when done correctly, fasting can be very beneficial to your health. So what is it? Non-beneficial, beneficial? Well, look, if you're interested in fasting, you can do that. It, it is a weight loss strategy. And if you don't believe me, go on your iPhone app store, and you'll find about 100 different apps that will help you do intermittent But the question I want to ask you is this. Is there a difference between fashionable fasting and Christian fasting? The answer is yes. Well, what's the difference? If, if, if health fasting is to lose weight and feel great, then Christian fasting is not to lose weight and feel great. <laughs> but it is a spiritual purpose. There's a spiritual purpose. That's what's different. Christian fasting is not just going hungry. Christian fasting has a specific purpose. And so this morning... With God's help, I want us to look through at least three questions about fasting based on Scripture that we have this morning. 
And my hope is at the end of this message, you'll understand this one sentence, and that is that Christian fasting is a spiritual discipline for spiritual purposes that are God-centered and rooted in the gospel. So let's just go through here. Three questions. Number one, what is fasting? Good question. I'm glad you asked. You're a very good group this morning. Chapter 16, or chapter 6, verse 16, Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, says, and when you fast, and when you fast, don't look gloomy, verse 17, and when you fast, anoint your head. So in other words, when you fast, don't look sad, don't look like your life is over, take a bath, wash yourself, comb your hair, look happy, be happy. But it's interesting that when you read the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he uses the same kind of phraseology with two other big things. In chapter 6, verse number 2, he says that when you give, this is how you're to give. Chapter 6, verse 5, and when you pray, this is how you pray. Now, we just finished a long series through the Lord's Prayer, and we looked at how we're to pray. But now he says, and when you fast. So to Jesus, the issue is not if you're going to fast, but when you fast. The assumption of Jesus is that his followers are going to fast. And so that's why he says when the disciples of John came to him and said, hey, why aren't your disciples fasting? Jesus gives them an answer. He says, listen, the reason that they're not fasting now is because the bride and the groom are together. The church and Jesus are together. But one day when the groom is gone, the bride is going to long and she's going to fast for her groom. And so if you understand anything about Hebraic kind of how marriages were done in that day, a couple would get engaged, then the husband would leave to go and prepare a place. And then, after the place was prepared, he would come back and get his bride, and they would get married. And so during that period, which is often a betrothal period, during that period of Kiddushim, if you remember that around Christmas, during this betrothal period or this longing period, there would be this waiting period so that they would be awaiting for the groom to come back. And so Jesus says, right now, the bride and the groom are together. That's when Jesus was physically with his disciples. But there's coming a day in which the groom's going to be gone to prepare a place. Does that sound familiar? And when he goes and prepares a place, the, the bride, his church, is going to fast. So the expectation of Jesus is that fasting is not an option, but an expectation. It's not just for the spiritual elite. It's for normal, everyday Christians. Now, let's be real. Let's just be honest this morning. This is honest time with Pastor Allen. Most of us probably have not fasted with a regular pattern in our life. If we went around the room and said, how many of you read your Bible daily? We would hopefully have a lot of people. How many of you pray daily? We have a lot of people. How many of you fast regularly? Probably don't have a lot of people. Of all the spiritual disciplines, fasting is the most feared and least popular. Why? Because who likes to be hungry, Right? Most people don't like to be hungry. And it seems in our culture to be very counterintuitive because our culture is very self-indulgent in which we don't want to ever go hungry. I mean, think about this. Not only do we have in our society built in in our mindset breakfast, lunch, and dinner, three squares a day, but within that we have a huge industry called the snack industry in which not only do we have three square meals a day, but even between those meals we have snacking. And, and we have a very snacking culture. Why? Because nobody ever wants to feel the pain of hunger. Now, some of you in this room, maybe you've experienced the pain of hunger. But yet, we, it is very counterintuitive to our indulgent society. So, for those of us that are Christians, I've had people come to me and say, Pastor, should Christians fast? 
for someone to ask Jesus, should you fast, should Christians fast, would be like asking Jesus, Jesus, should Christians pray? Jesus, should Christians give? Jesus, should Christians serve others? See, what seems to be strange and abnormal is actually standard and normal in Christianity. And I'll just show you what I'll show you something in Scripture that maybe you didn't know. There are 77 references in the Bible in regards to fasting. Now, that's, you say, well, wow, I didn't know there were 77. Well, let me just give you something else. There are 75 references to baptism. Now, that does not make fasting more important than baptism, but it does show us something, I think, very appropriate, and that is, is that fasting should be more important to our lives than what we've made it. Now, a lot of preachers don't preach on fasting. A lot of preachers don't preach on giving. So next Sunday, I'm going to preach on giving. And we'll have nobody here. Actually, I'm not. I'm preaching on Jonah. But I may throw in some giving stuff in there. What is fasting? At the base level, it is the abstention of food and drink over a period of time for a spiritual purpose. When we fast, we set aside a meal or a day or days without food and or water for God-centered biblical purpose. Don Whitney, who taught me fasting, said this. He defines it that a fast, fasting is a Christian's voluntary abstinence from food for spiritual purposes. There are different types of fasting. There's a normal fast, which is no food, but you can drink water. That's kind of what you see as normal in Scripture. There's partial fasting in which there's a limiting of your diet. A lot of people have heard the, the popular kind of a Daniel fast, and that's even in our 40-day guide here. And then there's an absolute fast in which you have no food or no water. So those are the different kinds of fasting. We're going to talk about some other types of fasting, like uh, fasting from certain things. Uh, but, but primarily when we think what Scripture talks about, the only examples we have, I mean, we don't have the Apostle Paul fasting from Facebook, okay? It's nowhere in the Scripture. But what we do have is we have people in the Bible, like Moses didn't fast uh, from certain things. He didn't fast from television, no, because those things weren't around then. But there was fasting from food, and I'm going to explain why later. But let's go back to the text. And Jesus, when he gives the instructions, he says that when you, when you fast, you need to understand something. In the very beginning of chapter 6, in his sermon, he says, we are not to practice our righteousness to be seen of other people. And so when it comes to giving, we shouldn't, when we give money, tell everybody, hey, look at how much I give. Look how awesome I am. And just go up there and say, here's my big check. Like, you know, the big checks, like bring it to the church. No. When we give or when we pray, we're not to pray like uh, the people doing just stand out there so everybody can say, wow, what a great prayer that person is. And the same regard when it comes to fasting. Fasting is not a social media campaign. Jesus, all throughout chapter 6, warns not to be hypocrites, not to have more on the outside than what we truly are on the inside, and to have impure motives. And so he says here, many people in, in his day, apparently because he's addressing the issue, were fasting. Jews fasted at least uh, one or two times during the week. And many of them, in Jesus' day, the religious uh, Pharisees and Jews would, would fast, and they would let everybody know, well, I'm fasting today. So you go, you go with one of them to McDonald's, and, and you're there to have something. Oh, I can't eat today. I'm fasting, but I can hang out with you. And, and they would put it out there. So to be seen of others is that their motivation was intentionally to be seen. And I want you to understand that there is very few things that gratify the human heart like being recognized. 
How many of you, we love to be recognized? And so people love to be recognized. They want to be seen and esteemed by other people. Well, Jesus says, that's not the reason why you fast. You don't fast to be seen by others. And if you do, you're just going to be hungry. Test when it comes to almost anything in your Christian walk. Would you do something if no one knew you would do it and are doing it? Like, if you're fasting and no one knows you're fasting and no one comes up to you and says, hey, brother so-and-so, how's your fast going? And if they don't do that, only, if only God knows that you're doing it, would you still do it? See, many people serve God, will do religious things, do spiritual things because they want others to see it. But I'll tell you another reason why people will do spiritual things. And it's it kind of implicit in the text. Is that some will do it to be seen, but some will do it to manipulate God. Fasting is not about manipulating God. Fasting is not about proving your devotion to God. When you fast, if Christians fast, it's not a guarantee that if you fast, your prayer will get answered the way you want it. Because if that's how God works, that's a theology of works. We're not saved by works. We're saved by Christ's works, but not our works. And so if you punish yourself by not eating food, that doesn't make your prayers more acceptable to God. So you and I, listen, we should never fast to earn God's favor or to even try to increase God's willingness. That's not how that works. Why? Because the gospel, the gospel tells us that God could not feel more favorably about you than he already does now in Jesus Christ. So by you not eating food, does it make you more lovely to God? By you praying a lot of prayers, does it make you more acceptable to God? Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't pray. It doesn't mean we shouldn't fast, but we shouldn't do those things so that God accept us. We should do those things because we know he already does. So what is the purpose of fasting? Since fasting is God's idea, we need to see what God wants us to do with it. And it's very interesting that where Jesus in the Lord's Prayer places fasting, or pardon me, in the Sermon on the Mount places fasting. You know where I'm going. He places it within the context of the Lord's Prayer. And so John Piper, in his book, Hunger for God, which I would recommend it's a great resource. We'll have a link to it on, our, on the website he says this about, about fasting. He says that fasting is an intensifier to our prayers. Uh, Oswald Chambers says that fasting is concentration. You can pray without fasting, but you cannot truly fast without praying. Because fasting without praying is useless. It's only just going hungry. So we connect our fasting with prayer and our prayer with fasting, and we see that it intensifies our prayer life. That when you are hungry, it seems to give you a sense of clarity and intensifies, intensifies your prayer life. That's why we do this. And as you do this, it is a physical reminder of a spiritual reality. There's a, there's a rallies commercial that says this. You got to eat. Say, who do you think you are? You won't get far until you eat. You ever heard that one? Well, I guess nobody. You have to eat. People eat. You have to eat. Some of you right now, you're thinking about where we're going to eat after church. There's nothing like hearing a sermon on fasting and then going to the Golden Corral. But fasting is a physical reminder of a spiritual reality. It reminds us of our complete dependence on God. 
that more than our bodies are dependent on food, our souls and our lives are dependent upon God. Fasting teaches us that there is something way more important than physical nourishment. But see, if your stomach is always full, you feel independent. But when your stomach is empty, you don't feel as independent. So what is fasting? It is a voluntary self-sacrifice that is an abstinence of food or some other normal function for spiritual purposes. So then the question is, well, what are the spiritual purposes? So it gets me to the second question. Why do we fast? Spiritual purposes. Fasting has to have a specific God-centered biblical purpose. So if, if you're fasting and your stomach growls, you ever heard, have you ever heard your stomach growl? Some of you right now, I'm hearing it right now. It's so amazing, preacher. When your stomach growls while you're fasting, you say, oh, I'm hungry. And then you remind yourself, well, I'm hungry because I'm fasting. And so if you're fasting and, and your mind is on hunger, if you're this, how much longer till this is over? Th- then you've got the wrong motive in fasting. Like, I've fasted before, and I'm like in the middle of it, and I'm like, good Lord, when will this be over? That's not, that, all that is is a miserable experience. And maybe some of you have fasted, and, and you've had this miserable experience, and you say, listen, I did it, I checked it off my list, I'll never do it again. Well, then you missed out something that I think is a blessing. Because every command of God is a blessing, So what real fasting, what real Christian fasting should be is that when your stomach growls, you say, yes, it's growling because I'm fasting, and I'm fasting because of this purpose. I want to see my neighbor come to Christ. I want to see my child that is sick uh, be be healed. I want to see this. I want to see that. That, 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 that. What you have here is that the goal for fasting is not to feel hungry. That's not the goal. The goal of fasting is that your hunger serves you to remind you of the reason why you're fasting. There's a purpose. There has to be in life the why behind the what. So many people, even in the church, will do a lot of things, but they don't know why. They don't know why they read the Bible. They don't know why they pray. And maybe you say, well, I know why. Well, they're good because when you have the why behind the what, it doesn't make the what so bad. And so... The reason some of us don't fast is we don't know why we should fast. So I'm going to give you some reasons. This isn't exhaustive, but I want to give you some reasons. Number one, one of the spiritual reasons why you should fast is one, is that we want more of God in our lives. Psalm 63, verse 1. Psalmist says, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. He wanted God so much that he gave metaphors of, of a dry and thirsty land that my flesh is fainting. That when we, when we fast, we are saying, God, I want you. I want you more than I want Chick-fil-A. You know what I found? A lot of people will fast to lose weight. A lot of people will change their diet for health reasons. You you see people, especially around the first of the year, you see people literally starving themselves to death because they're they're on the new diet that just came out. 
So many people will experience so many suffering, so, so much suffering voluntarily, but not for God. Not for spiritual purpose. Not to get more of God. You know what I think is killing the church in America today? Our appetite for God is too low. And our appetite for the things of this world is too high. You and I, the reason why the church is not where it should be is that the desire for other things is destroying us. That we desire things that are not necessarily evil, are not necessarily bad, but we desire them more than we desire God. And those things that we desire are deadly substitutes for God. They are innocent delights. See, good things can do great damage to God things in your life. Listen, there's nothing wrong with your kids playing sports. Nothing wrong. You should want your kids to play sports. There's nothing wrong with your kids getting a good academic education. Nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with, with, with your family going on vacations and, and going and doing things as a family together. But even those things, your children's sports, their, their academic excellence, family vacation, family time together, can be deadly substitutes for your walk with God. That you can celebrate to your kids, oh, you're a great athlete, or oh, you're so smart, you get an education and, and, and you get a scholarship, or oh, we had a great vacation, but yet you do not celebrate their walk with God. And these are good things. But we substitute them and they damage God things. You know what I found? Anything in your life can get in the way of you following God. So what fasting does is this. Fasting is a way of exposing what we hold dearest to us. I'll give you an example biblically. Abraham and Isaac. You heard about them? Abraham had Isaac. Abraham was over 100 years old when he had a son, Isaac. Could you imagine some of you that are in your 60s and 70s and 80s having a kid for the first time? What would that be like? God gives Abraham Isaac. Isaac is just the love of Abraham's eyes. Isaac was a good boy. But in Genesis 22, God says to Abraham, I want you to fast your son, Isaac. She'd give him up. Not because Isaac was bad, but because in Abraham's eyes, he was good. Fasting is not forfeiting evil for good. And so it was a test. Does Abraham love God and fear God more than he loves his son? Now we know the story is that Abraham, in obedience, trusts God and God provides a substitute. But yet what we get from that is that God called him to fast, thus exposing to Abraham what may have been too dear to Abraham. John Piper puts it this way. He says that you and I easily deceive ourselves that we love God unless our love is frequently put to the test, and we must show our preferences not merely with words but with sacrifice. You know how much you really love God? Not by just what you say, but by what you do. See, the reason that many of us have prayers that go unanswered is because our motives are not pure. And so we pray, and we, we pray because we believe that if we pray to God, He will give us what we feel like we need to be happy, but He doesn't necessarily give us, and so we get mad at God. 
But the reason that God doesn't necessarily give you what you think will make you happy is because what the thing that you may think make you happy may actually be something that gets in the way of your relationship with Him. Fasting causes us to focus our motives. That all I need is Jesus Christ. The Puritan said that one pure motive in prayer is worth more than many words. A few years ago, our church uh, entered into a venture of starting a second campus. You, many of you, some of you were here when we did that. We took that on. We were given a property in downtown Sanford. We took that on with dreams and visions and all kinds of, uh, of plans. And we took that on praying that God was just going to do something in the heart of downtown Sanford that wasn't being done right now. And we came there, and we sent over 100 people, our best and brightest. We sent some great people down there. And, and, and there was a lot of great things that happened down there. We did a lot of outreach. There, there was some, uh, some Christian, uh, Christian school that's been started out of that uh, from some people that were uh, connected to our church. And there's been other great things that have, have come out of that. But yet the church plant that we had envisioned didn't, work, didn't make it. didn't happen. We weren't reaching the people of downtown Sanford. And so we had to come back to the church and say, you know, we're, we're going to sell this property. We're going to shut down that campus. And for me, as a, as a leader, you never want to fail. Who, who in this room likes to fail? Now, I will tell you right now that, that that campus and that venture wasn't a failure, but my ego took a hit. I won't lie to you. It really did. It felt, it felt, good that, it felt bad that things didn't go so good. And yet, we already had in our mind that, you know what, even if this thing doesn't make, we have property in the heart of Sanford that we could sell. And so, over the past year, we, we, we walked with a, a, a buyer who was willing to give us millions of dollars for that property. And, and, in our, and in my mind, and in some of the leadership's mind, and even maybe some of your minds, we thought, man, if we get millions of dollars, think of all the things that we can do for the kingdom of God. And so, for me as a leader, a lot of decisions that I was making was waiting on this property to sell so that we could do X, Y, or Z. And guess what happened? It didn't sell. The buyer backed out. And I'll be honest with you, it was very tough. Very tough. And I've gotten through it, and I'm getting over it. But this week, while I was prayer walking, I was just thinking about different things, and, and, and I'm not saying... I voice. If I ever got one, I'd be scared. But I got an impression, okay? And I believe that God's Spirit can do that. I got an impression from God that maybe the reason the sale didn't go through is because you and some of the leadership and even the church were more dependent upon what that money could do to advance the kingdom than what I can do to advance the kingdom through you. And so God allowed us to go through a fast so He can show us that He's what we need in church. That is why we're doing these 40 days of prayer and fasting in this church. It's so that we get more of God and less of us and less dependent upon our strategies and innovations and programs and more of what He wants. And listen, in time that property will sell, and when it does, we'll take the money and use it to advance the kingdom of God. But we're not waiting until that money comes to advance His kingdom. Amen? And you need to hear that word because maybe there are things that are happening in your life that seem like to be a failure, that seem not to be going the way you want them to, and maybe God is saying this, those things you're depending on are things that are getting in your relationship with me. And so I may take them away so that you see that all you really need is me. See, Zechariah 
the passage scripture, and I, I've read through, I've read through the I read through the Bible every year, but I read this passage scripture, and, and, and I want you to note something, because notice what it says, Zechariah 8, 19. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the fast of the fourth month, the fast of the fifth month, the fast of the seventh month, the fast of the tenth month, doesn't say month, but the fast of the tenth, shall be to the house of Judah, seasons of, say these last words with me, of joy and gladness and cheerful, last word, feasts. Now, if you know much about Jewish calendars, there's a lot of fasting. But here he says that these seasons of fasting were actually seasons of joy, gladness, and cheerful feasts. You know what fasting really is? It's not starving. It's feasting. It's feasting on God instead of food. So when you and I fast, we are saying that more than we enjoy food, we enjoy See, when you fast, you get more of God. Fasting is a voluntary suffering to train yourself to be less addicted to the gifts that God gives you and more satisfied in the giver of the gifts. We don't fast to get things from God. We fast to get God. That's why Jesus says that when you fast in secret, your Father who sees in secret will reward you. What's his reward? You get him. What this church needs is not more of us. It's more of him. Now, that's the longest one. The second reason is we want to confess our need for God's grace. Why do you fast? You to get more of God. You to confess your need for God's grace. All throughout Scripture, fasting is tied to repentance and confession. Israel fasted in repentance. Nineveh fasted in repentance. When you struggle with a particular sin in your life or temptation, I, I say one of the ways you can do it is to overcome it is by fasting. Because when you fast, you're saying, God, more than a meal, I need your mercy. I need you. God, I need you in the fight against this battle. And when you mean business with God and when you're serious with God, so much so that you're willing to be hungry, that you're willing to, to, to not eat because you want more of him than you want that, it's going to help you focus. And it's actually going to lead to freedom. You know, fasting is a way to freedom. In Isaiah chapter 58, verses 5 and 6, hear the words of God. It's, it's such the feast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself. Is it to bow down his head like a reed, to spread like to spread ashes and sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast in a day acceptable to the Lord? He's talking about humility and, and repentance. Okay, so a part of go back. A part of fasting in the Old Testament mindset was about repentance. In a few weeks, when we get to Jonah chapter three, the the king of Nineveh is going to call the city to a, a fast because they're sinning against God and they see the seriousness of that sin, and so. He says, is that the kind of fast? Then he goes to the next verse, verse 6. Is not this the fast that I choose? Here's what it is. He chooses a fast to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, and to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. When you fast and you show your seriousness to God and humility towards sin, he wants to not only forgive you, he wants to set you free. Most Christians understand forgiveness, but most Christians don't live in freedom. They don't live in freedom. God doesn't just want to forgive you. He wants to free you. Fasting is a way to that. Let me give you a third reason for fasting. 
if we seek and surrender to God's will. Ezekiel, uh, pardon me, Isaiah, pardon me, I can't even read. Ezra, Nehemiah, and Daniel all needed either A, to know God's will for their life, or B, they needed the strength to submit to it. So what did all three of them do? They fasted. When you fast, you're saying, God, more than I want my hunger to cease, I want your will to be done. And what fasting does is it gives you spiritual strength to hear and obey the voice of God. The appetites of the body choke out the voice of God. We cannot hear God because we're overwhelmed by the loudness of life. What fasting does is it silences the voice of our body so that we can greatly hear the voice of God. Fourth, we fast because we desire others to know God as Savior. Fasting has an an evangelistic implication that when you and I fast, we are putting our stomach where our heart should be. It is giving intensity to our desire to see people know and love Jesus. The question is this, is there ever a time that you wanted someone to be saved more than you wanted a sandwich? So as we go through this, who's your one? We're asking you as as a believer to pray for one person in your life, a family member, a relative, someone that you work with, someone you go to school with, someone in your life that doesn't know Jesus as Savior, and we're asking you to pray for them. And I'm asking on top of that is that you spend breakfast or lunch or dinner or an entire day or modifying your diet or whatever it takes to concentrate your prayers to pray for that one person so that God would give you the strength to share the gospel with them. See, what, prayer, what fasting does is also what prayer does. Prayer doesn't change God. Prayer changes you. Same thing with fasting. Fasting doesn't change God. God's the same yesterday, day, forever. But, prayer, but what fasting does is it changes you. And it gives you the spiritual strength. And here's what I want to say. I said this at the end of the first service. When I read John Chrysostom, which is an old, he's an old dude. Been dead for almost two millennia. Maybe 300 AD. Early church father. Here's what he said about fasting. Read him this week. He says that if you fast and it doesn't change you to be more like Jesus, you didn't fast right. Fasting isn't just something that you do to intensify your prayer. It should be something that intensifies and changes your life. Last reason. I'm running out of time. So we fast because we anticipate and long for the return of Jesus. As the bride longs for the groom, she longs for her Savior. Fasting is a physical expression of aching, longing, hunger inside of us because Christ is not yet here. We fast as a physical expression that says this, Our stomachs long to be full, our souls long to see Christ. Piper calls it a hunger of homesickness for God. We are tired of sin, we're tired of suffering, we're tired of injustice, we're tired of cancer, brokenness, political division and death. We long for Jesus to return. And that's why we fast. So there are many other reasons for fasting, but all of them should be God-centered and all of them should be specific for purposes that glorify God. Last question, how should we fast? How should we do it? I want to be practical this morning. This is an acrostic. It's not original. It's from David Platt. And he takes this word fast and he makes it acrostic. The first way of how we fast is we focus. The focus shouldn't be ourselves. It should be on God. It shouldn't be for our glory, but it should be for God's glory. Now, this doesn't mean when Jesus says to do it in secret, it doesn't mean that no one can know you're fasting. It's okay if the secret gets You just shouldn't be the one tooting the horn. You shouldn't on Facebook giving a selfie, your face disheveled, 
your hair messed up, sitting at the kitchen table with an empty plate and a Bible. <laughs> Hashtag, I'm fasting. Don't do it. Don't do it. It's okay if people know. Just don't go intentionally telling them so that you get credit from them. There is a thing called corporate fasting, which we're trying to do as a church. Acts 13, Acts 14. When the church came together, they fasted over seeking God's will for their lives, over asking God to give them boldness to share the gospel. When we as a church over these next 40 days together focus our affections on God, we focus together, and I believe that the Lord moves the church through that. One thing about focus, fasting, is it should be planned. Fasting should be planned, not just spontaneous. And here's where the reason I say that. It's not just something you should do on a whim. Now, unless God just tells you you should do it, I would say you need to be planned. And the reason why it should be planned is so you can successfully do it for the right reasons. Second is abstain. Abstain from fruit, food primarily. I think every example of Scripture is a food type of fast. But I also believe that there are other types of fasting. You can you can fast from your phone, social media, anything that you see is a good thing, that you've made a God thing, you maybe need to fast from it. Why? So that you can focus your affection on the Lord. S, substitute. The time you would take to eat, substitute it with prayer and the study of God's Word. Even the money that you would spend for eating, take it and invest it in the kingdom of God. Buy somebody else's lunch. Give it to the church. Give it to the poor. Fasting is not just a time to be miserable. Fasting is a time to focus on God. So the time you would spend eating food, take time to spend in God's Word. Constantly remind yourself the reason why you're fasting. Last one, T, taste. Psalm 34, 8. Taste and see the Lord is good. The ultimate purpose for fasting is feasting on the goodness of God. It is being satisfied and finding your satisfaction in God more than anything else. Now, so that this doesn't become just some I want to tell you why we should do this and how we can do this. How can we fast and receive the goodness of God? How is it that we can fast and be satisfied in God? You want to know how? Because of Jesus. Now, follow with me. Please don't leave. This is an important thought. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were there. They were told, you can feast on anything except for one thing. They were told, by God, don't eat it. In other words, fast from it. That was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They, had, they got to walk with God every day. They could eat anything they wanted. It was fat-free, no calorie. They didn't gain any weight. I mean, listen, they had a beach body. Right? Listen, they were the first two people. And yet, God says, fast from the tree. What did they do? They feasted on it. They chose to do what they wanted to do, not what God told them to do. They rejected God. They feasted on sin. They disobeyed. You know what the world tells us to do? Feast. Whatever you want, whatever feels good, indulge. Whatever your appetite says, eat. So that's what Adam and Eve did, and that's the reason why you and I struggle. Because Adam and Eve feasted when they should have fasted. We're all in a mess. Y'all following me? There's a second Adam that came. His name is Jesus. He came and he could have feasted, 
But instead of feasting, he fasted. Jesus, after he was baptized, was taken by the Spirit into 40 days of fasting in the wilderness. At the end of those 40 days, Satan came to him and said, Hey, Jesus, you see those stones there? Turn them into bread. Make them into fast food. And eat them. And Jesus said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then Satan says, Listen, Jesus, don't you deserve power and glory? You can have it right now, but you can do it without a cross. You don't have to deny yourself. You can be the king of the world right now. Bow down, worship me, it's done. Jesus says, no, it is written. And over and over again, all throughout Jesus' life, he refused. He waited, he labored, he suffered, and he died so that on the cross, Jesus fasted for us. When he could have feasted on the love of his Father, he fasted voluntarily. He voluntarily suffered so that you and I can be saved he fasted for us so that we could feast with the Father. So that we can come into His presence and be forgiven, to be free, to be victorious. He fasted so we can feast. The world says feast on whatever you want. Jesus fasted so that we could feast on God. Right now, some of you in this sermon have already turned your minds off. You thought, well, this is a completely irrelevant sermon for me. Your flesh sees fasting as an enemy. It's too hard. It doesn't help. But God here has commanded it for our good. There's something that God wants to do in your life that because for some reason unconfessed sin... Some other issue, it's not happening. Or there's something you're praying for, and you need to get your mind focused. I want to call you. Let's, let's take a time over these next 40 days. Take a breakfast off. Take a lunch off. Take a dinner off. Even take a snack off. What's your next step? What is God calling you to do? Some of you say, well, Pastor, I physically can't do that. I'm pregnant, or I'm a diabetic, or whatever then don't do food. Do something else. Do something else that, that you know is going to focus your attention and affection on God. Take a social media fast. Take a television fast. Hey, take a news fast, and you actually may be happy. <laughs> What's your next step? Who's your one? Maybe your next step is, is to, for, to ask God, God, show me somebody in my life that needs to have a relationship with you, and then, God, over the next 40 days, I'm going to pray for them every single day. And I'm going to take maybe a couple times throughout these 40 days to fast over them to, that you would give me the strength to share the gospel with them. Maybe some of you, your next step is just to get baptized, to say, you know what, I'm a Christian and I want to publicly proclaim that I'm saved. Maybe for some of you, it's to join this church. Whatever your next step is, don't quench the spirit. So here's what I want us to do. Everyone bow your heads, close your eyes, and just ask God, God, what is my next step? What is my next step? What do you want me to do with this sermon, God? What is it? Just, just bow your heads where you are. Ask God in the silence of this room what it is. Thank you for listening to the Central Sanford Podcast. For more information or how to take your next step, 
Visit us online at centralsanford.net.